welcome to the Mint Podcast, where we dive deep into God's Word and discuss practical ways to live it out. This season, we're doing real talk about how we can contend for breakthrough in the most difficult and painful parts of our story. I can't wait to see what God, the commander of heaven's armies, is going to do as we press into him. If you want more of what you hear on the show, there are additional free resources, merchandise, and donation opportunities available at amintageisler.com. We're a listener-funded podcast, and we appreciate your support so much. Let's go run the race. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so excited to jump in to episode number two in our series, Joshua, as we take a look at what we can do to equip ourselves to fight a spiritual battle and experience breakthrough. And I believe God has so much goodness waiting for us today as we meet him in the pages of his word. Let's pray and jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. You are the Lord of heaven's armies. Lord, in these next few minutes, as we read the story of Joshua, we ask, Lord, you would give us eyes that can see you, ears that can hear you, hearts that are courageous enough to follow you. God, I humbly ask that you would help us to position ourselves as Joshua did before you, as warriors in your army, that you would come along and that you would show us what to do, that you would fight for us, that you would empower us in the ways that only you can. Lord, we humbly ask you for breakthrough because we know that it comes from you and you alone. We are hoping on you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, last time we kind of set up this series and we talked about, hey, guess what? You're fighting a spiritual battle. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you call the sovereign Lord your heavenly father, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a battle going on over your soul. And we talked about that. The Lord is God of heaven's armies. He is the commander. And we can think of him in that way. And we can serve him We as a soldier in his army and give him our battles. We talked about how we can sometimes develop weaknesses as a soldier while we're fighting our battles. And we talked about the good news that the Lord is victorious and he sends his Holy Spirit to be in us and to empower us and to fight for us. And we talked just a little bit about Joshua and why I believe the Lord chose him to lead his people for breakthrough into the promised land. See, Joshua was a man of God. He had courage when everybody else was afraid of the giants in front of them. And he had the Holy Spirit in him. And friends, if we can position ourselves like Joshua, I believe we can set the stage for the Lord to bring breakthrough to the hardest parts of our story. So that's why I love to study him. And I, most of the time, though, uh, as we are fighting our battles, I don't think we think about it that way. I think we sometimes wonder what we should do, or we sometimes forget it's a spiritual battle, or we let our fear take over or our weaknesses. And so this series is all about kind of bringing it back to the basics, understanding God as the commander of our army, and equipping ourselves to fight these spiritual battles. So if you missed episode one in this series, Joshua, I want to just encourage you to push pause because It is going to build. We're going to use what we talked about last week as a foundation for what we talk about this week. And so I would just encourage you to do that and then come back. And 
So for many of you, as we start to look at the story of Jericho today, we're going to dive into Jericho. And this series is based on Joshua, but I just want you to know I'm not going in chronological order. So we're not starting with chapter one and then doing two, three, four, five. Today, we are going to start with chapter five because of what I want to show about this battle of Jericho. And then we're going to work kind of our way backwards, but we're going to hit this book and we're going to hit the intent of it. But the reason that I'm starting with Jericho is because maybe like most of you, and uh, raise your hand if you can agree with this, but you heard the Sunday school version of the story of Jericho, but you've never really divin- dove, did you say dove deeper into it or dived deeper into that story? And um, man, where are my English majors at? You could tell me how I should have said that correctly, but we don't come back sometimes to these stories to see the deeper meaning of what's going on. I mean, we read, and maybe you learned that song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, right? We learn the song, we've got the little felt characters, and we picture the walls coming down. We're like, isn't that a cool story about how God knocked walls down? Cool. And we never think about it in terms of it being a spiritual battle. We think, oh, God helped them fight a a physical battle. The walls of Jericho came down. That was great. Good job, God. And we never go deeper. And maybe that's not the case for you. But I was, hello, 40-something years old when I realized Joshua was a spiritual battle. And it was a, uh, the battle of Jericho is a great template for us that we can take and apply it to our battles in our situation and uh, our spiritual places where we are in this realm fighting. And so it's easy to miss the cues in the text of Joshua 5 and 6 that show us that this is indeed a spiritual battle. And so we're going to just spend a few minutes. First, I'm going to read Joshua 5. I'm going to start in verse 13 and read through 624. Uh, And this is the battle plan. Okay, this is God laying it out. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look at all the contextual clues to help us understand what's really going on here. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5, great. Otherwise, I will just read it and you can follow along. In verse 13, it says this, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho. Okay, so I'm going to pause right here and just say, now the, the people, the Israelites, have crossed over into the promised land. Okay, he God dries up the river Jordan and they are in the promised land. So this is a hallelujah moment. Because they've been waiting for 40 years, wandering around, waiting to gain entrance into the promised land. Now they're in. However, it is not all roses and daisies. They have to now conquer the land and take it back. And so we're starting with the town of Jericho. And here's where this conversation takes place. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he told, man, I don't know how I missed this for so many years, but God shows up as the commander sword in hand. He's ready to do battle. 
Chapter 6, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. And I just want to pause. This is hilarious because the Israelites were afraid of the, the people of Jericho. So there's fear both ways. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and he said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. And after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you till I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night at the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. And again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. And all this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they marched around the town once and returned to camp, and they followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, and they marched around the town as they'd done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you'll bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Now, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. And they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, sheep, goats, cattle and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. And the men who'd been the spies went in and brought out Rahab, her brother, her mother, brothers, and all the relatives who were with her. And they moved the whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. And the only thing, only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. All right. What a battle plan. Now, I don't know how schooled you are in old-fashioned battle, but this was not typical. There were so many clues in the text to show us this battle was different. This wasn't just a physical battle where Joshua and the Israelites went in to just take over a town. No, there's so many interesting parts to this battle plan that clue us in that this is a spiritual battle. And the first one is the town itself. Jericho. So 
This is the town where the Lord of Heaven's armies, right, the commander, he shows up to speak with Joshua. And this is significant because Jericho was known as a fortress that was impermeable. It was the most fortified city. It had two walls that ran around the entire perimeter. And from digging up the remains, archaeologists believe that the inner wall was 12 feet thick and 20 to 30 feet high. And then the outer wall was six feet thick and 20 to 30 feet high. And in addition, the the town was built on a hill. So there was a height advantage over anybody who approached it. Can you imagine trying to penetrate a place like that? So God didn't just randomly pick Jericho to start this takeover. It was also a place known for its evil. It was literally the epicenter of idol worship and sin. So God started there because if he could get to the stronghold, if he could get to the epicenter, if Jericho fell, the other towns would fall. See, so often when we're fighting, we would like to fight the little battles first, right? In our flesh, well, I'll fight here because that's easier. Oh, that one's too big. I'm going to leave that one for later. I'm just going to do the easy. And that's not how the commander of the heaven's armies does it. He starts with the epicenter. So the reason we're going after Jericho is because this is the center of sin. This is the stronghold. This is the worst place. Now, the second thing, and we've kind of talked about this, is that God shows up as the commander. He literally shows up as the commander with the sword. And he gives the name. And he reveals the role that he's going to play. God is going to be the one in charge. Joshua's going to be under his command. Joshua's taking marching orders from the Lord here. The people will be serving as part of the spiritual army. Not every battle in scripture does the Lord show up to fight it and reveal himself that way and put himself in charge that way. You know, when you think about all the many battles that David fought and and other characters in the Bible, other men in the Bible, the Lord doesn't always show up sword in hand to fight, but he does for this one. And there's a reason why. This is a spiritual battle against sin. All right, the military strategy. Not sure if you've thought about this, but walking around a fortified city with no weapons in silence and only the blowing of a ram's horn is not a military strategy that makes sense. I mean, can you imagine being told there was a few people that got to have the weapons, right? They were armed. But then can you imagine being told, hey, we're going to go to the worst town with the worst people, up on a hill so they're going to have the advantage. You're going to be unarmed and we're going to walk in silence around the town day after day. Uh, sitting duck. That is what you'd feel like is a sitting duck. And so God asks here, he puts together a strategy that puts the Israelites in a vulnerable position of great danger because for six days they had to repeat this same thing. The The people of Jericho knew what was coming. They did it one day. They did it the next day. They did it the next day. They could have planned a counterattack at any time. This act, this strategy, walking it out, required great faith in God, right? Because it put them at a huge disadvantage. The ark and the priests. Now, God instructs 
that his dwelling place, the Ark of the Covenant, that's where he would come and dwell with his people in the Old Testament, he instructed that it would be carried into battle. In fact, it was to be in the front of the army with the priests. This was not a normal military strategy. The Ark wasn't often taken into battle. It was left behind where it could be protected. There's only a few times in scripture that the Ark is part of the battle. And what I think is interesting is when the Israelites crossed into the Promised Land and the River Jordan was dried up, the Ark went first and the Ark stayed in the middle until all the people crossed. So the Lord was in the forefront of that miracle as well. But here he shows up and he says, no, I don't want to be left behind. My ark is going to be in the front leading this battle. This was significant. This was not normal. And so God is saying, I'm literally going to lead the troops. Now the ram's horn. Each day, the seven priests were to blow the ram's horn. It's called the shofar in Hebrew, and they were to do it as the army walked. And can you imagine what that must have sounded like? Thousands of people marching totally silently and this the ominous blowing of the horn, right? Dun, dun, dun. But the very presence of a ram's horn is significant. He didn't just pick a horn and start blowing it, right? There was a reason he picked the ram's horn, and I didn't understand that before. So here's the background of it. The ram's horn is first mentioned in Genesis 22, when Abraham is tested by God and he's asked to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, who he's been waiting for forever, who's the fulfillment of the promise. He's asked to sacrifice him on the altar. And when Abraham obeys, God provides a ram caught by its horn in the thicket as the substitute. So by extension, the ram of God is a picture of the substitutionary sacrifice of God and his son for the sins of the world. It's a symbol of God's victory over sin and the evil one. Think about that's what Jesus did when he died and he rose from the dead. He conquered death. It was the ultimate victory against the evil one. That battle's already been fought. So the ram's horn was the significance. It signified that. The victory is God's. He has defeated. But it was used in the Old Testament before Christ was even part of the picture as just a powerful reminder of how God provided the ram for Abraham when Abraham was faithful and trusted God. And so it was the picture of God's provision. So that word is used also in Exodus 19, 16, when God announces the Ten Commandments. And when he does that at the base of Mount Sinai, it says that the blasts of the ram's horn were so loud the people trembled in holy fear because they felt the full weight of the power of the Lord. Which isn't that cool? When you think about that ram's horn blowing around Jericho, that did the people of Jericho feel the full weight of the Lord's power when that horn was blown? And we see it again the ram's horn, when God instructs Moses in Numbers 10, verse 9 says, when you arrive in your land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with trumpets. And it was that ram's horn. The Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. So thus, the ram's horn was sounded at special times to signify the chasing away of Satan and evil as a call to battle and war, as a sound of victory, and as a symbol of freedom and liberty. So it was a catalyst that inspired the fear of the Lord and gave the people courage. And so the fact that it was blown all seven days walking around Jericho was just a powerful symbol of the victory yet to come. The people would have understood that. In the New Testament, the ram's horn is sounded to declare the Lord's return or to bring people back to God or to declare judgment over evil. So, the, And I just think this is so cool. 
it makes me want to go buy one and just sound it and be like, okay, Lord, you know, like if you're from Minnesota, you're a Vikings fan, we blow the horn. And that, you know, everybody, when we hear that horn, we go crazy. Uh, We need that sometimes in our battles of like, like, here is the Lord. This is the Lord's victory. The victory is his. I am making a proclamation. I am sounding the horn. The people would have understood that. And all these years I read it and I'm like, well, that's nice that they were blowing their horns. Understanding the full weight of what was being carried underneath it. Okay, another significance in this text. Isn't it amazing how rich this text is? How many clues are in this text that were, this is a spiritual takeover. This is a spiritual victory. The number seven. Did did you notice when I read it, the number seven is used many times. Seven priests, seven ram's horns, seven days of marching, seven times around the city, Why the number seven? Well, in those days, it was a symbol of spiritual completeness, meant lacking nothing. And it meant that this was a spiritual battle God was going to complete all on his own. He was the one. He's the one fighting the battle. He's more than able. This is all him. This was not because of the people. (laughs) This was the Lord. He is enough. He's complete. He is able to fight your battle. And then finally, the spoils of war. Now, usually... To the victor of the battle go the spoils of war. But not in this case. Conquering the city of Jericho wasn't just about taking ground or personal gain. God was using it to cleanse. It was a spiritual cleansing. And that's why he instructed the people to set aside the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron for the treasury of the Lord, but to burn the rest of it. He was purifying the town. He was cleansing it of evil. God wanted all of the accursed things to be destroyed so that the city and the promised land could be clean from idols, false gods, and evil practices. The purpose of this battle was not the spoils of war. This was a holy war to destroy the detestable things. And then the rest, the the rest that were saved, those were to be purified and put into the treasury of the Lord because this was his battle. So the victor go the spoils. Now, in most battles that the Israelites faced, they were allowed to keep the treasure that they found. But this one was different. This one, everything was supposed to be burned, and then only the precious things go to the Lord's treasury. So considering all of these components, it's clear. Jericho was a spiritual battle. The Lord showed up as the commander of the army. And even though, this is amazing to me, even though he was fully capable, right? All the sevens, the spiritual completeness, he could do it on his own. He chose to partner with his people to walk out the victory. Now, he did the hard stuff. They, they walked. But after the walls fell, the people also had to fight. He partnered with them. And here's the good news. God does the same for us today. When we face a spiritual battle, we have an opportunity to serve as a soldier under the Lord of Heaven's armies. And we can put ourselves under his command and we can obey him with our whole heart. And in doing so, we take his hand and we position ourselves for a partnership for our miraculous breakthrough. So let's pray together as we just take in and are thankful for the fact that much like the Israelites under the commander of heaven's armies found victory over Jericho, the place that was impenetrable, the place that was impossible, the place that was the stronghold, the place that was the most scary, the most dark, there was victory for the Israelites because of the Lord of heaven's armies. Friend, I don't know what the battle is you're facing. 
But your Jericho can fall just like these walls of Jericho did. The same God who was the commander of the armies then is the same God who knows your name now. The same God who positioned his people and as they obeyed him, he was able to knock down the walls is the same God who, if you are willing to position yourself in front of him, will knock down the walls that are keeping you from your breakthrough. He's the same. He loves us. He is fighting for us. He cares about your battle, friends, whether you've been battling big or you've been battling little, whether you've been battling a week or you've been battling 10 years, whether you feel discouraged or whether you still have hope. The Lord of heaven's armies wants to come into your story, take you by the hand, and you get to walk out your victory. You get to walk out your breakthrough with the same God who took Joshua by the hand and helped the Israelites walk through into victory with Jericho. You and I can believe for this together and we can press in together. And I hope that this has just kind of given you a a new set of eyes to view today, not only the story of Jericho, but maybe the battle in your life. That the Lord is going to come sword in hand to help you fight and that the walls that seem insurmountable are just ready to fall down, that you might be able to get that breakthrough you've been praying for. So I'm excited for next time. We are going to dive deep into Joshua's call, what the Lord said to him. And then we're going to start to get practical. My favorite part, we're going to start to get practical about the things we can do to position ourselves like Joshua for breakthrough. Let's pray. Oh, Lord of heaven's armies, we come before you. We're so thankful for who you are. There is nobody like you. There's nobody who has victory over you. You are the one and only king. To you go all the spoils of war. To you alone will we praise. God, we bow our knees before you and we just say, oh, have your way. Lord, we thank you for the battle that you fought and won at Jericho. And we just humbly ask that, Lord, you would show up sword in hand to fight for us the same way. God, help us to learn how to partner with you, to surrender to you, to walk out our biggest battles. Help us to, as we think about our own personal Jericho, to trust you enough to just position ourselves at your feet and say, come, Holy Spirit, come, Lord of heaven's armies, come, break through in your name for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mint Podcast. More resources are available at amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together.